Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. My name is Raj Sahuli, and I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at NYU Grossman School of Medicine and the Hassenfeld Children's Hospital. I'm also a member of the PCICS podcasting committee. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Mary Taylor from the University of Mississippi's Children's of Mississippi about growing the next physician leaders. Thank you so much, Dr. Taylor, for joining me. You're welcome. Excited to be here. To start, as chair of the Department of Pediatrics, what are some of the essential qualities shared by the division chiefs and medical directors at your institution? Well, I used to say things that this was, you know, 90% of the quality, but I'd say 100% of the quality is communication skills. I think really having good communication and strong communication skills and ability to talk to people and really listen actively to people um, is just an essential part of being a leader. You know, our department has 21, 20 or 21 different divisions within the department. So we have a lot of different um, leaders. And, you know, nowadays, some of the leaders are junior faculty. More often than not, they're kind of mid-career to late-career faculty. But I think it's essential that they have really strong um, communication. And I guess the second thing would be to have a really good attitude, a great attitude of, um, you know, just collegiality, ability to work with others, ability to really, that's kind of also within the communication realm, ability to work with interdisciplinary kind of fashion, because there's so many things, there's so much interplay with other subspecialties and with other, you know, people throughout an organization, like a big hospital academic medical center. I think communication and attitude are numbers one and two. Yeah, it was very interesting. At the recent meeting this past December, um, they talked a lot about combination of the old hierarchical form of leadership to a distributive form of leadership where um, many more players are taking leadership roles and it's very vital that there is proper communication between that entire web of people rather than just funneling only in one direction. I mean, I think that's a really important point. I think um, it's important to be able to delegate and kind of divide up the responsibilities. I think when people feel, you know, that they are asked to do something, they have more ownership of the of the department or the division, they have more ownership in, in what's going on in the institution. They just are much more engaged when they're given some responsibility and asked to be a part of the leadership. And then in that way, you kind of mentor junior faculty and leadership and have kind of a succession plan because, you know, none of us are going to work forever, but it's, you know, a means of getting people engaged and ha having them see a broader vision than what's important for them personally. Great. On your own career path, what were some examples of obstacles you encountered either within yourself, your ICU colleagues, or your institution, and how did you overcome them? Well, I mean, I think the biggest obstacle that most of us face is, you know, it's easy to just get ingrained in what you're doing day to day to day. You know, you're doing a good job. You're doing your work. You're here to take care of patients. And of course, all of us go into medicine because we want to take good care of people and patients and children. You know, we all want to do that thing. But, you know, you can have a huge impact, um, a broader impact by working in a leadership role and really changing the face of medicine in a broader, you know, in a broader perspective. Maybe you're increasing access to care for patients or, you know, 
your um, improving relations with pediatricians in your community that then refer patients to an academic center or you're providing education to the next generation of, of people. But I think the obstacle is really getting past yourself and your own desires that you started with in medical school and kind of stepping back and seeing a bigger picture and then being willing to just put yourself out there and volunteer, you know, speak up, you know, step forward. I think, you know, there's a, a book called Lean In. I mean, lean in. When something's challenging or difficult, move into it instead of away from it. And I think that's been the most rewarding part of my career is, you know, stepping into a challenge and accepting it wholeheartedly and just giving it everything and things um, have a way of kind of working out and then, you know, move through that system. I never would have envisioned being a department chair when I came. Um, I'm from Mississippi. When I moved back to Mississippi from Vanderbilt and Nashville, I was a faculty member. And I had no aspirations of being a division chief. Um, I would never have thought academic medicine, you know, being one of the administrative leaders was in my was in my future. But it's been really one of the most rewarding parts of my career because I can see bigger impact and a larger, broader perspective. Yeah, that's that's really great. Speaking of which, uh, in a broader impact, as a leader of over 150 pediatricians and pediatric subspecialists, what are common pitfalls that you see derail junior faculty who aspire to become leaders? Um, I, you know, I think it's easy to kind of get sucked into the day-to-day -day and the kind of the busy work parts of medicine that aren't really the fun parts of medicine. I think shying away, just kind of as I was just saying, shying away from, from something extra I mean, people tend to want to know what is their job description and they're trying to fit themselves into this one little box. Well, that does make your life pretty simple and straightforward, but it does limit your, you too. I mean, it, it limits your experiences, it limits your exposure. So being willing to, to do a little bit more or to go above and beyond will pay off over and over and over again. So I, I see a lot of junior faculty kind of saying, well, what's in it for me? Or how does this fit in with my exact schedule? I don't want to overextend myself, not even one bit. I think it takes a little bit of discomfort in that time period to, to really have some true rewards in the long run. Thanks. If I may ask, what are the activities or programs your institution is providing to cultivate the next leaders in cardiac intensive care? Uh, well, we have a several programs here that we put together that I think are very, very helpful. For just any faculty, any junior faculty gets a mentorship committee. You know, and it, it is a little bit extra work for people because you do have to kind of put yourself out there and attend these kind of meetings with people. But it's for you. It's not really for us. It, you know, it's to help your own career. It keeps people on the path for promotion, for example. But we set people up with mentors usually it's around their research experience or maybe around their their clinical um, areas of expertise and they have a kind of a peer mentor they have a, another person's kind of a one-on-one -on -one mentor that they could just go have a cup of coffee with and then they have a senior mentor um, i think that's very very helpful in building people's leadership and those mentors can kind of have an outside perspective and kind of push people to do a little bit more to be more engaged in activities around the campus and um, get them on committees and those types of things. We also have a, in the Department of Pediatrics have a leadership development program. Each year we select eight junior faculty members and eight administrative people. So they, I mean, I'm not administrative, but staff people like nursing leaders or respiratory therapy leaders, those types of people. 
And those 16 people are our cohort that goes through once a month training. It's a leadership training. We have an external consultant that comes in. They give lecture, you know, talks and spend kind of a full day once a month talking about conflict resolution or difficult conversations or learning people's personality types and how to navigate that, you know, with different people that you're going to be exposed to. So it's a leadership development program that's been very, very successful. When I look back on the people that we've nominated, virtually every single one of them has become a leader. And it's really rewarding to see, you know, if you just invest in people just a little bit, the right people who have that kind of attitude I'm talking about, it really pays off. They will, you know, it is an expense for the institution, but the department and our hospital administration has committed to help us fund this. And it's been very, very rewarding. But I think, you know, junior faculty who are, have talent or, you know, we can see kind of budding leaders, we can cherry pick those people to be in this program. And I think that's been very helpful here. Those are great programs. And at that conference, they definitely talked about kind of the satisfaction that comes from watching the uh-huh. success of, of junior faculty and other health professionals. Yeah. Usually in medicine, promotion and leadership positions are often granted to those who advance the field through research productivity. However, what do you foresee are other paths to leadership for people whose passion may lie in education, quality improvement, or advocacy? I think those are all, uh, more and more, those areas are really important for leadership. The quality in particular, quality and safety is one area that's, um, you know, it's just paramount to everything we do, you know, that's the number one and two, you know, you know, top strategies in the hospital or top aims in a hospital are to provide safe quality care. And there are registries that we report our outcomes to and those types of things. And people can get involved through that aspect. But I think more and more you read about quality improvement projects and quality um, reports that really can be a springboard for someone to be a leader in those areas. Advocacy um, and um, being involved in diversity and inclusion and equity, those are all important areas as well. But particularly within a field, I think, like you mentioned about research, research is just one avenue of kind of getting there, but also quality and advocacy and I think community involvement, like even getting involved with community advocacy or um, you know, expose, you know, exposing yourself to other places that help child health or children's health in your area is, is a big thing. Um, there's lots of organizations with, you know, the Department of Health in your area, or, you know, other places that you can kind of collaborate with. But I think, you know, there's lots of avenues to groom new leaders. In our hospital, rather than call it research, we say discovery. And so, you know, research kind of usually makes kind of brings to mind basic science research or maybe some translational research or clinical trials, those types of things. But discovery kind of opens the door for it to be anything. Basically, any quality project can be discovery. We can discover a process improvement, you know, or something that we do from a system standpoint that that can um, improve the care that we provide to people. So I think we do have something called a discovery council within our department. And um, if people have a project idea, they can present it to the discovery council that helps them kind of formulate that into a plan and, and 
get that off the ground. So those types of things are, are really important, probably as important or more important than your typical research. Great. With the much needed attention towards improving diversity and inclusion in our field, what strides can institutions make to ensure that our current and future leaders better reflect the population we serve? This is a great point and very challenging, uh, even more challenging to, to approach than you would think. Um, I've recently broadened our vice chair group to include a vice chair of diversity and inclusion because it's such an important part of our department. We have a very large department. And, you know, if you asked me five years ago, do you have diversity and inclusion? I'd say, of course we have diversity and inclusion. And I think most people would say that. And if you look at the roster of our faculty, they come from all over the world and all walks of life. But we haven't necessarily been intentional about getting those people. I mean, the people are, are here and we have a diverse population, but we haven't really focused on being intentional about assuring that we have a, a diverse population. And we probably certainly don't have a makeup of our faculty don't necessarily reflect the population that we serve. So, for example, in Mississippi, we have a large African-American population in this area right where this hospital serves. But if you look at our our faculty, we have several leaders and other people in our in our faculty that are African-American, but maybe say African-American males aren't as represented as they are in the population as a whole right here in Jackson. So it is challenging. I think a big thing that we can do uh, is, number one, understand and know what what the makeup is of our department. So we have an IRB protocol. We're in a survey of all the employees in Children's Hospital here. So Children's of Mississippi has about 1,600, 1,700 employees. That includes faculty staff, you know, other ancillary staff. And we're surveying, surveying everybody to find out kind of what is our population? What do we, you know, who is represented here? And then we're gonna look at those groups and see if there's anything that shakes out of the area that we really need to focus on. I think one thing is to, number one, be conscious of it, be aware of it, and you know, have a conversation about it and keep that conversation going. As I said, I appointed a champion for diversity inclusion in our department, and we've had quarterly WebExes that have, we've had invited speakers, we've opened it up to the community and offered um, CMEs for the, these events and had these invited speakers, and those have been very well attended. And there's all in an effort to, improve diversity and inclusion, just uh, awareness. And then I think also, I don't think it's ever too young to start recruiting people or start focusing on, on groups of people. So if it's, for example, young girls and you want to get girls into a leadership, maybe approach them in high school and say, is there a high school kind of volunteer program or something that we can kind of encourage young women to get involved and then um, on the collegiate level and then in medical school, et cetera. I'm part of, I'm a mentor for women in medicine. We have a group of women in medicine chapter here at our, our hospital. So things like that where you kind of back up several steps and start grooming people from a young age, I think that's also helpful because it just changes the overall culture. So I think mainly just having the conversation, opening the door to the conversation, making it part of your daily commitment to having a diverse and inclusive and equitable population and you know colleagues yeah opening doors early in in people's careers really is how we're probably going to best um ensure that our future uh -huh. leaders 
reflect our population as as a whole. And then uh, finally, as a leader of so many others, what do you personally derive the most satisfaction from? You know, when at the end of the day, we're all here to just provide outstanding care for people, even just having one patient have a wonderful outcome, having a family feel great about the care they receive, having someone give you some feedback and say, you know what, I, I came, people took care of me like, I take, took care of my child like it was their child. You know, that's the most satisfying thing is to have this team that really is all in, all engaged, everyone on the same page, everyone, you know, kind of pulling the same direction with the same intention of caring for children like it's their child. I think grooming that, that type of atmosphere and culture has been the most satisfying thing in my career, really. I love my job. I have not ever come to work, not even on the very worst day I've ever had, and not loved it. You know, and I think that's that's what's most important, really. That's excellent. Thank you again, Dr. Taylor, for speaking with me today about growing the next physician leaders. We enjoyed having you on our podcast. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated info on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. The song, I Don't Know, by Grapes, was used under Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution License.